This is Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge on News Talk 770 Radio, Calgary's breaking news and conversation station. Let's turn our attention right now to this uh, verdict in Edmonton yesterday and the legal mess we now have on our hands. Travis Vader, as you recall, is charged with two counts of first-degree murder. Now, initially, those charges were stayed. It was unclear whether there would even be a trial, whether he would even be convicted. Judge yesterday said, well, I don't think the Crown proved first-degree murder, but inciting these aspects of the criminal code, I believe we can convict him of second-degree murder. So he came back with guilty findings on two counts of first-degree murder and the death of Lyle and Marie McCann. He doesn't know how they died, but believes that in the commission of crimes, I guess robbing the McCanns, Travis Vader caused their deaths. Now, in getting to this conclusion, he cited Section 230 of the Criminal Code, a, a section of the Criminal Code that was declared to be unconstitutional 26 years ago by the Supreme Court of Canada. And as soon as those words came out of his mouth, as we all listened to that ruling yesterday, a lot of legal experts begin to say, did he just say what I think he said? I'm shocked. I'm stunned. My jaw's on the ground that the judge just cited an unconstitutional law. Now that realization has set in, I think everybody's wondering, well, what now? Right out of the gate today, Brian Barash, the lawyer for uh, Travis Vader, has made it pretty clear that, look, this judge screwed up, and that's going to be the basis for our appeal. Uh, We have filed our notice of appeal, pointing out the uh, major error that was made and asking for a uh, verdict of acquittal or alternatively a new trial. Now, that would be pretty serious. It's possible maybe that uh, this will be clarified, but that could result in maybe just a manslaughter conviction instead of murder. I think all of these scenarios would uh, not go over well with the family and many members of the public because of the error made by this judge. So where does that leave us? Joining us on the line is Carissa Mathen, Associate Professor of Law at the University of Ottawa. Professor Mathen, great to have you with us. Welcome to the program. Thanks, Rob. My pleasure. Uh, It it does seem to be quite a mess we have on our hands, and everyone's trying to make sense of it all. Have have you seen anything like this before? What do you make of it? I think it's unprecedented. I can't remember, certainly, a case in which a court uh, rested a verdict of of guilt um, on a section of the criminal code that has been unconstitutional for, in this case, many years. But uh, certainly, it, it... I think it may well be unprecedented. It seems odd because, you know, we've had a couple of recent Supreme Court decisions involving assisted dying or involving uh, the sex trade where, you know, the Supreme Court says the law is unconstitutional. Now you've got a year to go back and rewrite it or change it. But when we had that, the case in 1990, which obviously affects the constitutionality of the section that we're dealing with here, did that necessarily happen? How do we have these essentially dead letter laws still on the books? Well, I think one of the ways to understand that is that the the decisions that we're talking about were in relation to one way to convict someone of murder, what we call the felony murder rule or the constructive murder rule, which is if you're committing some other offense like robbery and in the course of that offense you kill someone, you can be convicted of murder. The conventional way to convict someone of murder is you have to prove an intent to kill, Mm -hmm. right? You have to prove some kind of a really serious state of mind. But for many years, we had this lesser uh, 
form of of proof for murder, which didn't require that state of mind. And it was on that basis that the Supreme Court of Canada ruled it was unconstitutional. And the way in, first of all, they didn't give Parliament a year's grace period. They simply struck it down. And the way in which they framed their reasons, it would, would have been very difficult for, for Parliament to come up with an alternative. And so clearly Parliament wasn't interested in really challenging that in any way, but nor did it bother to repeal the statute. So, you know, for criminal law professors like myself, this is something that we have to actually tell our students, our first-year students, yeah. when we're going through the law of murder, uh, we, we present the case law, and then we say, just note that the criminal code that you've bought two months ago, right, doesn't actually reflect this decision, but the Supreme Court's ruling takes precedence over this dead letter that you see in your criminal code. Well, it's fascinating because, I mean, there, there was a conversation we had recently about the uh, prohibition on blasphemous libel that's still in the criminal code. And, and most observers would say, look, that that's clearly unconstitutional. Uh, there, there's no way that would stand up to any kind of charter challenge. So it's there, but we ignore it. Now, it's unlikely, I suppose, that anyone's going to go out and lay a charge of blasphemy. But on something like this, um, the, the fact that a judge is actually citing this, this law in his verdict, it, it seems as though by not removing the law from the criminal code, did we almost set it up to be likely that we'd run into this problem? Well, that's, I think that's an interesting point. So when you talk about really archaic laws that just haven't come up for decision in the modern Charter of Rights era because, frankly, no Crown attorney is going to be interested in, in doing so because it's so, unli- it's so likely to be ruled unconstitutional, that's a very, different, a very different situation than a case where the law has already been ruled unconstitutional, but Parliament hasn't bothered to excise it from the statute book. Mm-hmm. And I think that the... I think there's two possible explanations for that. One is that there's this sense you might almost call it of complacency or an assumption that people in the know, Crown attorneys, defense lawyers, judges, they'll know what the true state of the law is, right? So the criminal code almost doesn't need to be amended for them. And so there, there maybe wasn't a lot of apprehension of risk. There wasn't much of an appreciation that this could actually pose a risk in a criminal trial. And then I think the second reason is that it, it, We've seen successive governments. I mean, this decision was in 1990, right? right? Like, we've had four prime ministers, yeah. four different federal governments since then, at least four. They're, they don't, none of them have has seemed interested in doing the more ordinary but very necessary work of cleaning up the code, right? They, 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 they intervene when something grabs national headlines or maybe because there is a deadline imposed by the court, they feel the need to act. But there are many of us who've been pressing for a long time that you, ha- you actually have to do this work of making sure that the statute, that really all Canadians have, have a right to assume is, is complete, is accurate, that it properly reflects the state of the law. When we think of judges, I, I think, you know, the average citizen, we think of judges as sort of the, the top of the 
the the legal knowledge food chain that they're they're the wisest amongst us all and we had this situation just recently with this uh, justice robin camp who admitted on the stand that uh, he didn't really understand canada's sexual assault laws and we're now starting to have to come to grips with the fact that maybe our judges don't know as much as they should I think it's a really unfortunate sequence of events we've had, uh, particularly with with the Alberta. So many of these cases seem to come up, come up in Alberta, although there was a case of, a number of years ago in in um, in British Columbia, I believe. But um, it, it doesn't look good. You know, there's just no other way. It's really hard to sugarcoat it. It doesn't look good for um, judges to be making these kinds of errors. Now, don't have all the information, but in this case, um, you know, we're talking about the law of murder. It's it's pretty fundamental. And I think we are entitled to expect that um, our judiciary, our judges, are, would, are the most knowledgeable, you know, would have that information, frankly, at their fingertips. I, I don't think that's an unreasonable expectation. What's your understanding of what could happen here? It seems like, as you say, we're in uncharted territory, whether the judge can reopen his own verdict, uh, whether this, this sets the stage for you know, the, the ruling to be struck down, or I don't know what the, the various scenarios might be. Well, the cleanest route, I think, is that the uh, appeal, which um, Travis Bader's lawyer has just announced, has, has just filed for, the appeal would go forward and it would be the Alberta uh, Court of Appeal, the provincial, high, the highest court in Alberta would, would deal with this, this matter, would unquestionably recognize the error. And then it's an issue of, is there enough evidence on the record, accepted beyond a reasonable doubt, to convict um, Bader of another offense like manslaughter or would the court find it appropriate to send this back for a new trial and obviously there'd probably be vigorous argument around both both those things there is a a, a much less common but you know potentially there's a possibility for the judge to reopen the the proceedings and take submissions um, and that's been allowed in, 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 in very few cases where there's a gap between the verdict and the sentence, because it's not until sentence is pronounced that the, judge is, that the trial judge is considered to be finished mm-hmm. with the proceedings. So he has some continuing authority. But um, it's, it, I, there, there's no precedent for this being the reason that the judge has relied on a defunct provision of the code to to support his verdict of guilt they they usually there's some interesting cases where between the verdict and the sentence the judge essentially has second thoughts begins to have some doubts about guilt right i i I now have a reasonable doubt and in those cases higher courts have said it's it's uh it's appropriate for the judge to be able to give effect to those doubts but this is very different this is a completely different scenario. Well, and, and getting back to the concern you'd raised about uh, Parliament's aversion to dealing with this, do, do you think maybe that with a case like this, where there's the possibility that someone who would otherwise have been convicted of murder maybe gets off on, on a manslaughter conviction instead, that that will be the kind of outcry that convinces Parliament to, to deal with this? Well, I would expect that the current Minister of Justice is going to face some pointed questions. And, uh, you know, if if there was ever a, a moment to, to seize the opportunity, surely this is it. So I would be surprised if uh, when Parliament resumes that uh, this is there's going to be some announcement of uh, uh, of, of a serious 
And frankly, in my opinion, not that complicated an endeavor to clean up the code to correspond to a number, but we're not talking about a hundred decisions, a number of cases Mm -hmm. in which the Supreme Court has ruled there are certain provisions of the criminal code which are unconstitutional. Very interesting. Uh, Great insight as always, Carissa Mamathan. Thank you so much for joining us here. Really appreciate this. You're very welcome. All right. There you go. Carissa Mamathan at the University of Ottawa. Her thoughts on where we're at and what could possibly happen. I would think him just walking seems unlikely. A new trial could happen. And that's kind of a nightmare scenario for the Crown, I think. Uh, Maybe the judge coming back and addressing this, reopening his own ruling, possibly. Or an appeal court simply imposing a sentence of man, or a conviction on manslaughter as opposed to second-degree murder could also happen. 974-8255. Uh, we'll take a break here. Come back. Got some more time for your calls. It's Afternoons on News Talk 770. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge starting at 1230 on News Talk 770 Calgary.